interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Come on, guys, you know the words. <laughs> yeah, here we go. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Come on, guys. I don't know what's happening. Let's tell Ollie's press conference. I don't know. That should have so actually been in the background music. To say goodbye. <laughs> To Ole. <laughs> oh my. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a very somber What the Football podcast. It is with a heavy heart. Wade and I bid Ole adieu, and he's on his way out of Manchester with many supporters around the world, non Manchester ones at that. Very upset by the sacking of Ole from the hot seat. Unfortunately, his tenure has ended at United. For some, that is a sad moment. For others, it is relief. And I guess we're going to dive straight into this topic before we get anywhere else. The time has come, Rudds. A club legend has been let go. You know, jokes aside, a sad moment for someone like Ole, breaking down in his interview. Um, what have you made of it? And what are your thoughts on on Ole exiting Old Trafford once and for all? Yeah, look, I think it is sad. Um, I, for one, would have loved him to succeed, but it was obviously um, the wheels had fallen off this season um, and the right decision was made ultimately. So where to next? Let's see. But um, I think Ole came in as an interim and we're back to that same point. But when he came in as an interim... He, he did a great job in terms of stabilising the team, getting them um, back in uh, into Europe, um, getting getting some really good performances. There have been some some really, I suppose, one of the, the highlights have been maybe that, that the Paris game, in the PSG game in the round of 16, the one that he got his contract in. So I think it's funny, his, his, his best moment is probably just before he became the permanent manager. Um, but... Uh, I think uh, first manager since Fergie to get two top four finishes in back-to-back seasons. No one else has, had done that. There was genuine progression um, going from third to second. And it was really about to, about him kicking off the season and he couldn't. So he had been backed. He had got in the players. He wanted the team as his team now. They needed to make the next step. They needed to be challenging. They're not. They're in a bad position. And ultimately, he loses his job. So I think there's a good foundation in the club. There's a good team in there. There's going to be another manager that comes in. Um, and we, we hope we'll get a lot more out of the squad. And Wade, I guess uh, as rival fans, you know, we joke and we always give it to United supporters that Ole's at the wheel. And, you know, we've been quite happy that, he was, that he's been at the wheel for this time. But what do you make of Ole's tenure at United over the last three years? And is it just a case of in too deep and in too soon? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I've always been of the impression that he got the job because of his status at the club. You know, when you look at his managerial, um, you look at his uh, his CV rather, 
you know, Cardiff getting relegated and then and going to Norway um, to coach. Uh, I, I don't think it was the right the appointment to begin with, kind of similar to, um, you know, what Carragher said about the Nuno appointment at Spurs. You know, it just, it wasn't the right appointment to begin with. And I always thought that his career was prolonged by uh, Bruno Fernandes coming in. I thought Bruno had a massive impact on the team, um, really turned their fortunes around. And they, they started playing some decent stuff after Bruno arrived. And I think that prolonged things for him. But he was just wasn't able to stamp any sort of style, um, you know. The, the, even up until now, you, you wonder like, what, what was Ole's style, you know? Um, he adapted to some big games. He got some big results, as Rudd's mentioned, which probably was, you know, uh, a step forward maybe in some in some eyes. But it was always two steps back after that because he just couldn't get any consistency going, um, and he he just failed to establish the style overall. I think and. When you look at the money he spent as well, he can't really complain about that. Um, they've they've spent a bit of coin with him at the helm, so um, he just never got going. I think it was a case of him him just being out of his depth, to be honest. I mean, Rods, if you look at it, you know, from a historical point of view, um, I'm just going to shout some numbers at you here, and you know, you can sort of dive into those numbers. Matt Busby, 50.45% winning winning percentage. These are all winning percentages I'm about to give you. Matt Busby, 50.45. David Moyers, uh, 52.94. Ernest Mangal, 54.16. Ole, 54.17. I'm now in the top three managers of all time at United win percentage. Uh, Jose Mourinho... 58.33, 58.33, and of course, Alex Ferguson, 59.67. You know, Ole is in the top three of uh, win percentages. I know win percentages doesn't necessarily translate to trophies, which is obviously the case with Ole. But he seemed to be at the, the higher end of the spectrum in terms of United's history, in terms of those win percentages. Where exactly did it fall apart for him? So for him... It really fell apart this season. I think the expectation of of how he needs to play, what he has at his disposal, um, and how how he needs to climb the table was a bit too much. I think um, if you look at the style that he had, there was a style. I think the style for him was a counter attacking game. That's that's the way United played under Ali. You know, um, fast attacks, sitting deep, almost like a low block. Um, and that's the way he got most of his wins against big teams. He got more wins against big teams um, than any of the other managers. Where he struggled was breaking down the other teams that sat back. Um, so there's no real patterns of play to break teams down. But he could manage with that. Does that, that not and, show a lack of, of tactical nose right there? It did. Of course it did. Um, but there was still enough in there to say, okay, maybe he's he's needing a a genuine winger that can break down the line. He needs a center forward who's going to get him more goals. Um, the defense was maybe goals, leaking yeah. too many goals. Right. So, yeah, yeah. and as such, they backed him and they got the plays he needed. So, so you think, okay, whatever those shortcomings were against the smaller teams, let's try to, to rectify that. Um, I think it did hurt him that he didn't get a defensive midfielder, but that would have papered over the cracks as well. So when we, when we look at it, what United need is a best-in-class tactical manager, someone who who can go toe-to-toe with 
Pep Guardiola, um, Jurgen Klopp, Thomas Tuchel, right? We don't need a man manager because that may be enough to win the league in in Spain or, or France, um, but it's not enough to win the league in the Premier League. You, you've got to be tactically astute. And that's what we need to go for. So I know there's been some rumors about Zidane. Zidane would not be the right fit. Zidane would be a better fit at yeah, a club would, like PSG yeah. where he can go in and he can massage the egos of Neymar and Mbappe and, and Messi um, and get the most out of them. Whereas we probably need a, a, a more tactical manager and who that may be, um, time will tell. But that's what United should be targeting. Someone who's going to make them better, make their players better. They've invested in a lot of young players um, you've got a lot of young talent in that squad and they need someone who's going to manage them and make them play the right way. And, you know, um, there's been a lot of rumours. Uh, Pochettino's coming in quite strong in terms of um, the, the number one target. And there's a lot of talk about him walking out of PSG to come to United. And we'd welcome that. If not, the, the options look like Ralph Ragnick, Rudy Garcia, um, someone along those lines who come in, in on, on the interim before moving on to the permanent manager in, in, the, in the summer. Now, there's never a right time to sack a manager. I think um, you, if, you look at, if you look at Man City and... and, and well, Liverpool, actually, I might, I might argue with you and say there are right times to sack managers. Yeah. And I think, I think United missed a boat a very long time ago with Ole. Yeah, and I think the, the, the boat actually was missed when he signed his contract off the back of those big wins because... Pochettino was, was the target at that time. He yeah. was the target at that time. After he signed the contract, as in Oli signed the contract, Pochettino was actually sacked and became a free target. And that would have worked out. That would have been the best option at that time. So, um, but this, and I said is, this, this is the point, well. Rudz. Who, who is making these decisions? Because... That, that, became, to me, that to me was an emotional decision over there. It was an And that has decision. the makings of the man himself, Sir Alex Ferguson, all over that decision. Because Fergie there's no conceivable removed. way. Fergie I don't, I don't buy that. I'm sorry, there's no he way. He removed himself removed. from the club. Why do you believe that Sir Alex Ferguson was removed he's, he's got from influence. the appointment he, of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Yeah, I mean, his no, influence so, so is what, there. What had Surely was it, you have to say this, right? Surely he was at least Rudd, consulted about it, right? And no he would way. have given his input. Yeah, so at, at the time, under Jose Mourinho and Louis van Gaal, he had decided to walk away because his cloud was, was weighing heavy under the David Moyers era. And this talk came quite strong at that point, which is why he stepped back. He actually stopped coming to the games um, or stopped being visible at the games. It was only when Solskjaer invited him back that he's come back. So when they made that decision of, of Solskjaer, that was not Fergie's decision. That was Ed Woodward's decision. Ed Woodward has been the not man to make every decision except for the David Moyers one where that one was a, a decision that was rubber-stamped by, by... So Alex Ferguson's input yeah. in that club is too extensive to not have a say in what... No, can not I just, a chance. Can I just add to something no. you mentioned not just before, uh, Connell? You, you spoke about who's making these decisions and stuff like that, right? I think they, they missed out on another opportunity now with Conte. You know, I know, Raj, you, you mentioned offline you don't think he would have been the right fit, but, I mean, come on. The guy's a winner, you know, and, and that's what you need. He's an experienced manager. He's a winner. He's done it at the highest level. You know, I yeah. think what, what United need now is to win. You know, Poch 
with all his credentials, yes, tactical manager, yes, likes playing on the front foot. He didn't win. He hasn't won anything, you know? Yeah. And that's so my worry. With, it's going to come in and it's going to be another project with Pochettino. Yeah, the and then how long does he have, you know? And this is, hang on, before before you jive in, Rad, I want to, and this is the point uh, I'd like to take on the back of, 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 of what Wade just said. All I see is missteps by United since the Sir Alex Ferguson era by the appointments. First, you spoke about United looking for this, you know, I don't know, legacy manager that to me doesn't exist anymore in the game, um, like your Fergusons and so forth, when they appointed Moyes, right? That didn't work out. And within, what was it, nine months or whatever it was, he was gone. Louis van Gaal comes in, experience, stabilizes the ship, plays some of the worst football you've ever seen, gets you a cup, and they want him out. He's gone. He's not the right person. It then diverts to Jose coming in, a guy that is perennial uh, is is known to come in win mm. screw things up and leave right it then reverts to of course ole after that where the idea was he comes in as an interim and then all these missteps happen along the way pochettino as you said now it's going back to pochettino you miss conte it's just where's the line drawn you talk about these managers but i just see a hot mess with decisions yeah. being made from board I, level i definitely think down. i definitely think uh conte was was not a missed opportunity for us. I think um, as much as it may be a win, I think there's two, they are too scarred from Jose Mourinho and that type of manager that had come in. So what had happened with, you know, as much as Mourinho won a, a Europa League and a, and a League Cup and he became, and he got second and he called second his, his best achievement in his managerial career, um, he's left that club in absolute tatters. Um, so it was toxic. There was infighting. There was fighting between the management and the board, between players. It was just a place that had fallen apart and they needed someone to come in and rectify that and build it up again. And, and Ali was was that as an interim and it needed to be handed over. I think that's why Conte would never be the right man. So if, if, I, if you look at Conte and how he plays Michael Carrick, and what he is, if Pep Guardiola was to leave Man City tomorrow and Conte was available, they wouldn't sign Conte. I think it's, honestly, I think it's unfair to put Conte in the same basket as Mourinho, especially when you're looking at the time that Mourinho came to United. By then, a lot of people would have argued he was past his prime, right? Whereas Conte, on the other hand, let me just finish this one, whereas Conte, on the other hand, he's still a manager right in his prime. I mean, he just won the league with Inter, with with the rubbish squad, you know? He turned them into something. And... He also leaves clubs in a much better position than, than they were when he arrived. He's not going to come in and do those things that Mourinho done. So I, I think it's unfair yeah. to lump them in the same category. I understand the playing style might be similar because Conte is not known for his swashbuckling attack, attacking style. He's more yeah. of a, I guess, a conservative manager in a sense as well. But one thing he is going to come and install is a culture you know, yeah. and it's but a culture of important. winning. And that should be the main thing for United, I feel, at this stage. I mean, surely, surely, Conte is, surely Conte is the better option. You've got Michael Carrick. You may as well have kept Ole Gunnar Schultz in my eyes. Yeah, what like Michael, Michael, Carrick? Michael Carrick is just a is, is just a handover between now and... Well, who knows? He might win the next two games and you guys give him a five-year no. contract. No, that's not going to happen. Um, they'll be looking for an interim manager. And he's he's just there. So it could have been anyone who's still at the club because they they, they honestly didn't plan on sacking Solskjaer. They want they don't they have a plan, every... lads. They do not no, have a plan. Do you think um, Liverpool have got a backup plan 
in terms of if they needed to sack um, Klopp or something happened to him. I don't think that's the case. So that if if Klopp was to walk out tomorrow, as an example, his assistant, whoever's behind him, would continue until they find an option, right? That that would be the plan. I would say that it's hard to compare yeah, that. You're talking about Mike character right that has nothing. Exactly. You can't compare yeah, but, the two. But he has nothing, but he's he's been the assistant coach and he's been the assistant coach for a while. And, and that's what happens when the, the main man leaves, he'll come in and then when an instrument comes, Caddick will most, most likely depart the club or he'll be... Um, given a lifetime contract. Given a, given a different task within the club. So I think that's the likely outcome. It's, it's you know, the style of play is going to be important. Like if, if Conte has go, does go to Liverpool next, if he's the mixed manager after, after Jurgen Klopp, you know, they might win a league or they might win a trophy, but the fans are not going to enjoy that after coming off the high with Klopp and the way they play. You watch, you watch your team play week in, week out, and you say, wow, we play good football. It's a different story. You know, when when we were supporting Mourinho and we did support Mourinho as a manager, it's it's okay to 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 argue the point as yeah, we play crap football, but he's we're winning things, we're winning trophies. And when you don't win anything, it's 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 so much worse as a fan. When you're watching crap football and you're not winning things. When you when you gone and played against Man City as Mourinho and everybody's behind the ball and you end up losing and he's fighting on the sideline. Um, or you know prefers not to speak or whatever. It's a shambles, and and as a as as a supporter, that's not what you want to see. You want to see your manager be going toe to toe and be able to play that football. So we're hoping the manager that comes in next can play a brand of football that we can get behind and say, wow, we can see what he's trying to do. We, we're not he's not just trying to win the next game and doing whatever and winning it at all costs. He's he's building something where. The team is going to improve the way and style of play and have have a system. And you're going to something's going to be visible. What's Conte's system? Conte is 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 a winning system. And and I suppose the best system in the world of football is a system that makes you win. And and that, that's what what Conte is. But and I don't think he was the right man. And you know, United could 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 screw this appointment up and get someone completely wrong again. You know. Um, I, I want to ask you. Like I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this before we close out this segment. Is are you sitting here as a Man United supporter, one hundred percent confident in the powers that be making the correct decision? No. Do you fully um, back? Look, I can tell you as a Liverpool supporter, when when we had Hicks and Gillette, I didn't know. I had no faith in what they were doing, and every day was cringeworthy. And I did not back them as owners. I can tell you that right now. So I'm asking you, can you sit here confidently looking what's gone after the Ferguson era to say you fully back these owners and the decisions that they are making around your next manager? Yeah, so I suppose when Fergie left and when there were previous managers up until Solskjaer, there was the manager, the CEO, and the board. You know, that's that's the setup. Oli leaves having implemented the manager in himself. He's a technical director, there's a football director, then there's a CEO, um, and then there's a board. So there are more people that are responsible now for making those decisions. And there's two more roles that are more responsible for identifying that type of talent in the way we're playing. So so who are the two in between? Who's the technical director? John Murto and and Darren Fletcher. Darren Fletcher is a technical director and John Mur- 
John Myrtle is is the uh, football director. Who's John Myrtle? Who the Again, hell is like he? Unknown, like, <laughs> yeah. These are guys that are. So they've got just the question. I'm not questioning the setup. I think what Ollie's done is is correct. But United to me are stuck between this. We want to hold on. It was like, let me give you an example, right? When Liverpool came out of winning from the 80s into the 90s and we could not keep up with United because one thing United did differently in the early 90s, 92, was exploit the commercial side of the Premier League. And by exploit, I mean they knew what they were getting into and they utilized that to its maximum, especially by winning the first Premier League. You then became this global brand and pushed on from there. Liverpool were very slow to react, didn't want to change their ways, wanted to maintain this sort of legacy of the boot room and promoting within and all this stuff. And Roy Evans was the was the last of that generation to do it before they brought in, you know, the Julias and the the, the outside managers. To me, there's a level of this from, uh, from United. There's this, let's hold on to what used to work and hope that that will translate. Not we know it's going to translate to success, hope it's going to translate to success. So... You seem to be caught between old ways versus where the club is headed. I can tell you now, like there's some traditions that exist within Liverpool from the past, but that whole sort of setup around um, exactly what you're probably seeing at United probably doesn't exist anymore and needed to be shifted on in order to keep up with the modern times in football. So it's an interesting position that United are in and taking. Yeah, look, it, it, it is, but... We haven't seen what the what the decisions may be with these technical and football people um, in place. So you can only hope it's, it's the right way. I suppose the direction and what they were trying to do in, in comparison to what was it previously, the manager that had come in looking for short, short-term excess and success and they were judged on short-term success. Oli was, was allowed and fought at the time to build something over a period of time and they had a long-term view and a long-term vision of what success is. So much so is that he's only two or three months into a brand new contract. They, they, they bought into the long-term plan, and it's why they were so hesitant to sack him. But at the, at the end of the day, they were forced to, and, and we go again. Look, gents, we can go on all night, but I think it's only fair that we give the last minute and a half of this segment to the man himself and all the United fans out there. Lads, I know this is painful listening.
I mean, you're always going to be welcome at Old Trafford. You know that. Well, I hope so. I hope so anyway. Well, it's been brilliant dealing with you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. See you soon. Look, that was uh, that was tough listening. And jokes aside, we all wish Ole the very best in whatever the football world holds for him in the future. We're going to shift gears now and head over into our next segment. Powered by Riverside FM. Whew. Well, that was a heavy way to end that segment. Uh, we will shift over into this weekend's results and discuss some of the... Uh, the key moments, I guess, from an analysis point of view. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, the two results, um, specifically around, you know, we've spoken a lot about United in this in this segment. Um, we'll touch on their 4-1 loss, of course, to Watford, which was the final nail in the coffin. But, of course, the match of the round this weekend was happened at Anfield, where Mikel Arteta, after an eight-game or nine-game unbeaten run, I believe, came up against uh, a Liverpool side, you know, picking up one point in the last available six. Um, and we saw the results, gents. We saw, obviously, Watford winning 4-1 and, and pretty much ending the, the Ole run. And, uh, of course, we'll talk maybe just after that about the Liverpool game. But just really briefly, Watford, did did you see that one coming, Rudds? Was that always a potential to happen? And uh, what did you actually make of the performance? I saw it coming. I said it last week. Um, it was broken at United. <laughs> Oli didn't couldn't find a balance in the team. It's probably going to be Watford's easiest game of the season. It's going to be most teams' easiest game of the season when when the the setup is broken to that extent. Um, the manner of the the defeat four one probably flatters United. Um, De Gea had to save a penalty twice, um, the same penalty, and there were and a lot of big one on one saves. Um, they were way too open in the back. They got through way too easy. Harry Maguire justified the criticism he's getting, so his his hand in ears celebration um, was was something that was maybe ill judged um, on on his behalf after the performance he put in again. Um, there, there was it was done. The game was over. I suppose the the good thing is that it it now has forced a hand and. Um, we can move on. The squad in there, there's a good squad in there, and it's going to take someone else um, to make the most of it. It's early enough in the season still for United to to compete, not for the title, but to ensure they're in the top four and ensure they're in Champions League next year. And that's got to be the goal now. I guess we'll shift gears, Wade, and maybe I'll just talk really briefly before we, you know, focus probably the rest of the segment on that Arsenal game. But Chelsea making light work of Leicester. I must say, I watched that game and I thought. Leicester were absolutely hapless defensively. Um, they really showed that they're, they're not quite there on the level of, of certain teams. Um, you know, they'll be there and thereabouts in that top seven uh, position. But yeah, I thought Chelsea made very light work of them. Uh, of course, ex-players coming back to haunt them in, in Kante and Chilwell, you know, um, having a, a blinder as well. What did you make of that performance? And uh, I guess Chelsea, the Chelsea steam train keeps rolling on without uh, without any recognised strikers. Yeah, Leicester have been strangely poor this season. Um, I mean, well, they, they started badly. Then it looked like they were actually picking up um, after that Man United win. You thought, wow, they're going on a good run. But I remember when we came up against them as well, completely dominated them early. 
Um, they didn't play with any uh, any aggression. They kind of sat back. You know, we took the game to them, and you saw the same thing. It was one-way traffic in that first half. I mean, Chelsea could have been four or five up probably going into halftime. Um, and it's strange from a Brendan Rodgers team because one thing you expect with them is that they're going to play with a lot of energy. Um, and he's just not getting that out of them at the moment. So it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. I thought they were probably, you know, when you, you speak of that top four that we had initially with United in there as well, I thought Leicester were probably the best of the rest going into this season. Um, but now it looks like they're going to have a real battle on their hands trying to get that top seven or, you know, top six or top seven, those European spots. So the more Leicester wane, I think the, um, you know, the, the shine on, on Brendan Rodgers' managerial career goes down as well. Um, so, you know, he'll obviously be wanting that to turn around because he's a guy that's always linked with big jobs. So it'll be interesting to see how he can turn it around. But they look in all sorts. Chelsea played well. Obviously, they continue to impress. Um, again, solid at the back. Not that Leicester presented much, but they roll on. And I think overall this weekend, um, you really see the gap between the top three versus the rest. Because, I mean, City made light work of Everton as well. So there's a big, big gap. And I think it, it, it hasn't been more evident than it was this weekend. Well, I guess we'll shift gears, Wade, and I might just stay with you. And, and you know, I know it's a, it was a it was a, a tough place always to come as Anfield. Um, what were your expectations going into that game? And I guess was it was it a case of Arteta getting things wrong on the day, or the reality of that is the difference between the two teams for you? Um, well, I think for the first half an hour, he got it right. You know, uh, we, we pretty much nullified Liverpool's attack in that first 30 minutes. I don't remember Ramsdale having to make a save. Um, and then, obviously, the incident happens on the touchline. The crowd gets into the game. Um, you know, Liverpool pick up from there. Uh, and we concede from a set piece, you know, which is uh, a bit of a kick in the guts because, you know, it's hard enough to defend Liverpool from open play. And up until that point, I thought we did quite well. Um, and then you concede from a set piece. And then in the second half, it was just absolute self-destruction. I mean, we could not keep the ball. Credit to Liverpool because they pressed us extremely well. Um, they were reading everything that we were doing, playing out from the back. They clearly targeted um, the young kid, Sambi Lakonga, who just had an absolute shocker. Um, but, you know, we, when you give Liverpool goals like we did that second goal, um, their tails were up from there and it was one-way traffic. So, you know, on another day, Ramsdale played well. On another day, it could have been worse than that, you know. So my expectation going into the game was that I wanted to see us put in a solid 90-minute performance. And if we walked away with nothing, I could say, listen, the the, the best team won, right? There's the, This is one of the best teams in the world. But... It was very disappointing the way we crumbled in the second half. Um, you know, and it was the young guys, you know, mainly. I think Thomas Partey not being fit as well was absolutely anonymous. Um, and if we're going to be any good, we need Thomas Partey to be fit because he's that guy in midfield that can transform us. But he just never got into the game. Uh, and then you couple that with the fact that we just made silly errors, gifted a couple of goals. Um, and yeah, it was one-way traffic really in that second half. And I think if you look at it too, I mean, one of the things that stood out for me is you're right. That first sort of 30 minutes, um, you know, potentially was a false sense of security for Arsenal at the same time. I think Liverpool at times 
can uh, you know they, they they pick their moments to do things i do find the arteta arcing up a, a bit of an interesting one it was if it was as if he was sending a message out to his players in yeah. that moment that yeah. we are not going to back down like you know managers do these things intentionally at times and sometimes of course it's heat of the moment but you think it'll fire up i think it had the adverse it backfired in it the backfired. game massively yeah. because he, he would have wanted the players to take on that energy and say listen i think frank i think frank lampard did a similar thing um last season where he arced up you know young team you want yeah. that team to take on that passion and that aggression and it worked against us because truth be told that brought the crowd into it and they folded under the pressure yeah. so yeah that really did I yeah. guess I guess I was just going to go back to that point too, with Liverpool being a moments team, and you know that was the moment mm. I, I guess that sparked it potentially because quite ironic that the goal came from that set piece. Mm. You know, you know, uh, Gabriel, I believe it was in front of Mane, got out jumped by Mane. But let's 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 give to you Trent Alexander Arnold is mm. probably the best exponent of crossing a ball that I have seen since honestly David Beckham. His position of putting a ball on a player's uh, head or foot is unbelievable. His execution of that is is something that is to be old. I mean, I read a stat today that said he, at 23 years old, <clears throat> as a right back, he has 52 assists. That's crazy. And that's absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. Absolutely ludicrous. So, an interesting game, Rods. What did you make of the game? Did you did you happen to watch it? Did you? What did you think the uh, the overall performance of Arsenal was? Can you see? the improvements made under Arteta? Or do you just see a team that's, um, you know, ultimately going nowhere slowly? It was hard to see too many improvements outside of maybe the first 10 minutes in that game. I think it was um, a fairly even battle without creating too many chances for Arsenal, but they um, were holding out. And I think it was actually good to see, and I'm sure Wade would agree, that when that moment happened on the sideline, you're probably... You know, it probably lifted Arsenal fans just as much as say, yeah, don't back down. You know, um, it's probably the response as a fan you wanted to see, and you never know what what that could could do. And you know, it's easy to say the look. Well, the crowd definitely did arc up and got behind the team, and they the team raised another level. And then it was a massive difference between the two teams. I think from that point on, I think uh, you know we know it could have been more, but I suppose what we need to see now. Arsenal have been on a really good run. Um, they've had a knockback. Does that stick with them going forward? I think they've got Newcastle this week. Or do they pick back up and start a run again? So I think that's where you'll see the improvement. We knew going into it, um, we spoke to Wade and others early in the season, top six finish for Arsenal would be good. Um, so now we need to see if Arsenal can be a top six team and continue and lift up because they're not at the level of, of the top three at the moment. And I don't think um, any Arsenal fans will be gradually saying that. Um, it's just that it's just where they are. Um, and the, the progression from this season to next is then what Wade was hoping for, where it's a, it's a closer battle and a closer fight in these games. I guess one, one thing you did say, Wade, was, you know, and I heard Arteta talk about, you know, we really came to this game um, to put in an, a 90-minute performance to show kind of the the progress we've made. I guess what I, I watched the game, obviously, you know, and one of the things I analyzed was that Arsenal looked a lot more solid. And I must say for that first 45 minutes, even with the opening goal, Arsenal looked improved. 
So from what I've seen before at Anfield versus this, this looked like a well-drilled, organized team that tried to play out from the back and tried to do that. What I guess changed that, and even at 1-0, was in the second half, the pressing became so much more intense from Liverpool that I think Trent Alexander-Arnold said it afterwards, Arsenal saw red blurs all over the pitch. And we set traps everywhere. Mm. So I think one of the things coming out of halftime was, you know, set the trap for Arsenal because they are going to continue to play out from the back. And when you do, I I lost count of the amount of times we nicked the ball off that, say, third or fourth pass when you tried to play out. And it was just, it was endless pressure. Endless, endless pressure. And I guess that was the... The, not the damning, but I guess the, the the negative part of this game was the implosion in that second half. So there's still there's still a lot to be worked on by Arsenal. I thought that if I had to put a percentage, I'd say, you know, it's a 10 to 15% improvement from what I saw before. But that second half was what I've seen from Arsenal over 90 minutes at Anfield. So the positive for you guys is there was actually 45 minutes there that looked relatively competitive. It's now translating that and moving forward. But I personally think there is a plan there with Arteta. He is sticking to it. And the best managers in the world stick to that plan until the players adapt and move forward to that next phase. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's unfair to look at this game against Liverpool at Anfield and ask the question, have we made any improvements, right? Uh, I think that should be left to the games against the likes of Leicester, against the likes of Spurs, those sort of teams, because that's who we're really competing against at the moment. You know, there's daylight between the top three and us. So I don't look at this game as, um, you know, as a, uh, a point of whether we've improved or not, because we know what Liverpool are um, and we know what we are. We're the youngest team in the league, right? Um, if you had said to me after 12 games, that, you know, and, and we'd played City, we've played Liverpool, we've played um, Chelsea, and we're three points off top four right now, you know, after 12 games. I would have taken that any day of the week. I'm taking that, right? You spoke about us being more compact and more solid. That's the first thing Mikel did when he came into Arsenal. We've been that way since he's come there, right? We have There hasn't been too many games where we've been given fours and fives. I think there's only been maybe two or three. And that's saying a lot because under Wenger, almost every time we went away to a big club, I was worried that it's going to be over by halftime and it's going to be a humiliation. I don't have that same feeling anymore under Mikel, right? So we've conceded 17 goals this season and we conceded five against City, four against Liverpool and two against Chelsea. So that's the three big teams, right? So that's, that means we conceded eight goals against the other nine teams that we've played. Right, so that's the barometer that I would rather use to say, all right, are we making progress? Because I know everyone that's watching football knows we're nowhere near Liverpool. We're nowhere near City, right? It's going to take time for us to get there. I think we've got the foundation. If we can be consistent against the rest and United keep going the way they're going, then I think looking at it from that perspective, there's no reason why we can't push for a top four, you know? Top six, yes, I still think is is um, is where we need to be at the very least. But looking at the way the season's panning out and, and the way United have gone especially, uh, because I thought they were a lock for top four, 
Now they don't have a manager. Who knows who's coming in? So I think that top four spot is really up for grabs now. But as Rudd said, it's going to be how we bounce back. We play Newcastle at home. They're desperate for a win. It's not going to be an easy game. They're desperate to win. Eddie Howe's first game at the helm. I'm, I'm sure he's going to be on the sideline. Then we go to Goodison Park, and then we go to Old Trafford. So we got like a defining few games coming up now. Uh, and and that's, that's where I'm looking to see, okay, have we improved or not? I'm not looking at Liverpool at Anfield and saying, all right, you know, now we haven't improved at all because Liverpool on any given day can put four on any team in the world, you know? So we'll see how we recover from this. That's the important thing. And on that note, gents, I guess we will uh, close out this segment and, of course, move on to our trivia segment. But in keeping with this episode and obviously the memorial of Ole, we will keep it somber moving forward. Mr. Trivia Man, we go into the music, we go into the music, we go into the trivia, and we hand it over to you. Quick question, sorry Rods, quick question just before you jump in there. Are you guys Game of Thrones fans? Yeah, 100%. Because I just thought of a cracking name for for this particular podcast, right? That's definitely going to grab some attention. The Red Wedding. The Red Wedding. The red wedding. I think it's just it's it's on theme with the music and everything. everything. It's, yeah, I, I, it is now the title of this podcast. Thank you, Wade. Definitely, well, you can also, it could also be the title of the trivia since uh, Connell hasn't won one in a very long time. He's coming back. He's coming back. Right. Don't fire him up. Don't gonna, fire him up. Four please. straight. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be like the Anfield crowd. So I'm not going to get him worked up. I'm just going to play it cool. Yeah, I'm just going to play it cool. (laughs) It got got so bad. One of the listeners actually messaged me uh, and said, you are on a horrible run with the trivia. (laughs) (laughs) I am fired up. I'm definitely fired up. This is my Arteta moment, yeah. A reminder of the scores. We've got Wade on 11 and Connell on 9. So there's a two-point gap. We know the rules. I'm going to go through some facts about a player, um, talk about him as if um, uh, I am that person. And by the end of it, hopefully you can guess who I am. So I was born in Porto Alegre and I spent my childhood growing up in Restinga. My father was a working musician. And my childhood was rough. How can Cancelo? No. You know, every time you money. guess now, I'm just nervous. <laughs> Rodri, Rodri. And now, uh, we never had much money and shit, and I shared a room with my parents and my brother. There were times throughout my upbringing where we needed to beg for food. Up until I turned 18, I Raul played Jimenez. football. No. I played most of my football in the Vizaya tournament. Bruno Fernandes? No. The Versailles tournaments can be described as a network of independent matches and tournaments that are organized by the local community. These matches were rough and tough, played in harsh conditions. Home fans would harass you near the change room. 
Um, they would threaten you. Dennis. Adame Traore. No. Um, there would be gunshots. Um, at times, you may need to play shirtless because there might not be bibs. Um, the pitch was often clay with dust and sand. After a number of failed trials at established clubs, I started playing for a football club called Imbatuba. It was at this point I wanted to give up on my dream. And my mother made sure I understood that if I gave up on Lukaku. playing football, no, Gabriel, I needed to, no, I needed to find a job. And because Jesus. I didn't finish school, not Jesus, my options were either becoming a barber or working in a supermarket. However, from there I was scouted by a team called Avai. Fabinho signed me. No who signed me for the under-20 team. I spent two years at Avai before securing a move to Vittoria Gomares. It was actually Deco who scouted me and then signed me to his agency called D20 Sports before arranging my transfer to Vittoria. I made my debut. I made my debut on the 13th of March 2016 against Pacos do Ferreira. I scored my first goal for the club against CS Maritimo on the 20th of August, 2016. The following year, I made my Europa League debut in a game against, no, a game against Red Bull Salzburg. It was in 2017 that I won the Vittoria Gomares Breakthrough Player of the Year. I went on to score 18 goals in all comps in the 2017-18 season. The following season, I moved to Sporting. I made my debut for Sporting on the 12th of August, 2018 against Moriense. Sporting. Scored my first goal for Sporting. I scored my first goal for Sporting in a 2-0 win against FK Karabag. I was part of the team that won Taco de Liga and the Taco de Portugal, where I scored a penalty in a shootout against Porto. In 2019, I signed for French club Rene for 21 million euros and became the club's record signing. I scored eight goals and had seven assists in that season, helping Rennes to a third place finish and qualification into the Champions League. One of my best friends in football, who I call my older brother, is Bruno Fernandes. <laughs> It was he who convinced me to join the Premier League. So in in October 2020, I moved to the Premier League for undisclosed fee, but believed to be in the region of 20 million euros. Rodrigo. No. Rafinha. No. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Get in, son. So obviously Rafinha spent some time with Bruno Fernandes <laughs> sporting and, they, and they got quite close. Um, Rafinha has been linked quite heavily with Liverpool. You knew so it Conway too. Conway knew it too. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Conor may have done his due diligence with Rafinha after all the links they've had with him. Um, but yeah, I was actually Far close out. to the end. But this is, he's got a quite an interesting background. So I did start off with, a, with maybe a, a smaller club than we used to in, in, the, in this thing. And uh, um, unfortunately for Connell, five in a row. Oh <laughs> anyway, it's a long season. It's a long it is a long season. 
and and that's why United will finish in the top. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll we'll come back to uh, our next trivia game where I'll go through all my teammates. Uh, it's in alphabetical order. I don't have any international teammates, and I'm actually a current player. So okay. uh, hopefully that answers most of your questions. So here we go. Alexandro, Alvaro Negredo, Andre Gomez, Emmerich Laporte, Blaise Matuidi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Danny Pereo, Diego Alves, Emre Chan, Ezekiel Garay, Federico Bernadeschi, Funes Mori, Giorgio Kalini, Ivan Perisic, Jack Grealish, Juan Cuadrado, Leonardo Bonucci, Leonardo Spinozola, Mario Mandzukic, Martin Caceres, Matthew Ryan, Mauro Icardi, Milan Skriniar, Lucas Mora. No. Miralem Pjanic, Moise Keane, Nani, Nathan Ake, Nicholas Otamendi, Paco Alcacer, Paolo Dybala, Riyad Mahrez, I'm nowhere in this. I'm not even Rodrigo, Rodrigo De Paul. So you said he's currently in the Premier League, this guy, yeah? Sami Kadira, Samir Handanovic, uh, Scott Carson, Paul Pogba, no. Sergio Aguero, Simone Zaza, Shokdan Mustafi, Sofian Feguli, Victor Lindelof, Wojciech Szczesny, and I had skipped a couple others that I'll go back to. I'm getting Juventus, I'm getting Arsenal. Emmerich yeah. Laporte, Blaise Matuidi, I say Claudio said, Bravo, yeah. David Silva. David Silva too. And you said no Jack international English, teammates. John Stones, Carl Walker. No international teammates. Leroy Sané. So these are all clubs. And those are all the ones. Those and are it's all like the names. Oh. Not Finn and Daniel, no. No. Um. Wait, wait, wait. Let's give us just give Report. us a couple of minutes. No, Edison. Edison. Mention. Edison. No. Kyle Walker. I mentioned Kyle Walker's Sterling. name. Sterling. Uh, Cancelo. How Cancelo? Oh no! It is now Cancelo. It is now Cancelo. He spent some time playing in Spain. <laughs> He played for both Inter and Juventus, so there was a lot of Italian oh, Italian names in there. Get so him. I thought you pick it up. And there was a lot of Man City names in there. So the I thought the Italian Man City link would be a quite no, easy No, I, I got the Juventus City link. I just couldn't. And, and then I started thinking, is he playing for someone else in the Prem now? Because I just couldn't think of any City play, any Juventus players for City. And I was like, shit, cancel. I just want to, I want to say something, right? So you've won now six guesses in a row. I just, I just want to paint a picture. That literally coincides with the birth of my son. Wow. So 
I have, I have not been the same <laughs> since this little shit came into the world. <laughs> uh, no. Oh, jeez, man. My brain. I was nowhere near any of those players. This is ridiculous. He gave you a false sense of security, Connell. You actually, I think, started feeling sorry for him at one point. I did, um, yeah, I genuinely did. <laughs> and, and just like that, he's got a four-point lead. He's got a four-point oh buffer. What a bounce back. What a bounce back. Oh, that is unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Well, you know what they say? This is exactly what I feel like right now. A whole bunch of people laughing at me. Because <laughs> I am a laughing stock right now, ladies and gentlemen. An absolute laughing stock. Well, that was a good segment, Rads. Said nobody at all. Um, because I am being <laughs> tortured weekly, yeah, much like you have been tortured with United. I guess, uh, guys, we might, you know, we've come to the end of another show. I'll share our thoughts. Uh, one thing we haven't done again was uh, play of the week and, and team of the week. Um, I might start it off and we can just roll it from there. So, um, might start with team of the week. Look, I thought, I thought Liverpool's performance against Arsenal, especially in that, uh, Final sort of uh, 60 minutes was, was, you know, Liverpool at their best. When they are in that mood, not many teams can compete. And as you said, Wade, they will pretty much steamroll anybody that comes to town. Um, so I thought that second half was just, from a Liverpool perspective, absolute joy to watch. Um, and really, really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so Liverpool go, gets my team of the week. I guess player of the week for me goes to um, Dennis from Watford. I thought he had a, a really good game. He finally got on the score sheet again. You know, he's having a decent season, Noel Dennis. He's got five goals and four assists um, in the Premier League, which is not a bad return considering the position of where Watford are. So there's definitely something about him. You know, we spoke about Ivan Tony maybe being that player from the championship, but it's it's probably Dennis that's really, um, I wouldn't say lit, lit the Premier League on fire, but he's definitely... Uh, He's definitely struck a, a couple of matches there that are keeping everybody warm. So my play of the week is uh, Watford's Dennis. Rudds? Yeah, look, um, I think it's Arsenal losing to Liverpool at Anfield. Yeah, I'm not no sure surprise. that. No surprise. No, no not too many surprises there, but Watford beating United and thrashing United and could have scored three or four more goals. Um, everyone's favourites to go down and probably still to go down. Um, I, I think it's it's harsh not to give them team of the week. So I think for 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 their performance, as bad as United were, they were really good and they created chance after chance. It wasn't a um, you know a a stolen game. Um, I don't know what the the phrases I'm looking for yet, um, but it, it was one where they created chances, opened United up. Um, time and time again, got into the box and and, and should have had four, a few more goals. So uh, hard to look past them. My player of the week is actually, and the reason I put him in the in the quiz this week, is Jao Cancelo. Um, he's just been consistently good. And that performance again against Everton, that, that assist that he had for Raheem Sterling um, well, was phenomenal. So I think, um, yeah, he's got my player of the week. Yeah, it's hard to look past Watford as well. Um, <clears throat> I think what you were trying to say there is it wasn't a game where they nicked a couple of goals. They were on the front foot, you know, right from the start. They could have easily been maybe 
two or three up, three or four up, sorry, at half time. Um, obviously, a couple of penalty saves early as well. And then, you know, United had a chance to come back in that first 20 minutes. Um, Donny van der Beek played that ball through to Ronaldo and you thought, should it's two all, yeah? You know, and uh, Ole would still be at the wheel. Um, but sadly, he missed the chance and, you know, they kick on from there. So I thought Watford were excellent. I just want to give a quick shout out to Wolves as well, who I thought were very good against West Ham. Thoroughly deserve that victory. And they're up to six Rudd's uh, pick of the season. So that was a good call because I know they were on a bit of a, a losing run when you called it, Rudd. So they're up to the top six now. They played really well also, but definitely Watford. And I think Dennis as well, I had as my play of the week. He was fantastic. Call, caused all sorts of trouble um, down United's right-hand side against Juan Bissaka, who's a very good one-on-one defender. Um, but he was just electric um, and deserved his goal right at the end there. So I've got Watford and Dennis this week. Yeah, good call. Good call. I think that that's a, a fair assessment. And, you know, the only... The only thing I will say on the Watford game is United, you know, anybody can pretty much roll in town unless it's a team managed, managed by Nuno, Spirito, Santo, and pretty much pick up points. I actually wanted to, uh, before we move on, listen to this uh, crazy thing I saw the other day. So Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's last Premier League win as Manchester United manager was against, anybody know? Nuno Espirito Santo. Wow. Whose last Premier League win as Tottenham manager was against? Probably Dean Smith. Whose last Premier League win as Aston Villa manager was against? Oli. Now there's some crazy <laughs> stuff for you right there. I thought that was a, uh, a very interesting yeah. connected little saga of events. But uh, a good way to end the show. So look, it's been another great show. We thank you for joining us on this What the Football podcast episode 13 of season four it's been great to be with you um once again coming from sydney your host conway t i'd like to thank my panelists wade and ruds for joining us on another episode of what the football podcast remember you can catch us across all platforms on facebook twitter and of course podbean and apple is where you will find us live but until next week enjoy the champions league return and we'll see you all again same time same place. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Sorry, a bit of a technical difficulty difficulty there. But Rads, can you tell me something very quickly about the United-Arsenal game? United-Arsenal game? Uh, that's in a couple of weeks now. So it's more the United-Chelsea coming up this weekend. <laughs> that was a complete cock up in the end over what? there. <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? I don't know. Uh, you were setting me up for something. What the, the, the heck the, just happened there? There? <laughs> there was a transition out there, gents, into a, uh, a, a, a different song, which <laughs> completely backfired in the end.
uh, that was enough enough banter for the evening for United. I think huh? the banter came to an end there. I think we have it. I think we have it. There it is. <laughs> it's been a Uh, and on that note, we will just end the show. Thank you very much and see you next week. <laughs>